0: Welcome to another episode of The Art Salon. Don't forget to follow The Art Salon on Instagram, share it with your friends on social media, especially Facebook, and if you feel so inclined, consider supporting the podcast monetarily via our Anchor page or contact me directly. Today's guest is Steph Richards. Editing this episode in the wake of the news from the New York Philharmonic seemed serendipitous. During this pandemic, we have all been scrambling to find a way forward, and most artists have been lost in this effort because they have not been accustomed to swimming in the waters of change and hunger for far too long. This is obviously not the case with artists like Stephanie Richards, whose latest project, SuperSense, is awe-inspiring. Steph is not going to be caught in the wave of extinction facing many artists in the coming years. Her release of SuperSense also coincided with Mark Swed, the music reviewer of the LA Times' latest list of 10 heroes who, according to him, saved music in 2020. The list reveals just how out-of-touch institutions, and their pundits, are regarding the climate for the arts in the real world. With the notable exception of Yuval Sharon, who presented his garage version of Wagner's Gotterdammerung, the rest of the list consisted of those privileged music director superstars whose great accomplishments to save music during COVID were to continue business as usual in front of no audiences, mostly in Europe. What an innovative triumph. Sweat also named Deborah Borda, current CEO of the New York Philharmonic, for her tenacity in continuing to push forward with the half-a-billion-dollar remodel of Geffen Hall, which he sees as an important victory regardless of the depleting funds to pay musicians' salaries well into 2025. I mean no disrespect to Mark Sweat, to the people he mentioned, or to Deborah Borda, who is a visionary. But I do question the lack of touch he and his orbit is displaying in celebrating each other, as the Met Opera musicians are forced to evacuate the city, while his music superstar friends continue to collect excessive fees to conduct for empty concert halls in foreign countries, and lauded as heroes who saved the arts. Conversations like the one you're about to hear matter. It's time to understand that the people we are propping up in this fetishistic madness are those stuck in the structures that led to the catastrophe which COVID has only accelerated. Boring programming, poor audience relations, unsound financial practices, and exorbitant salaries for administrators, music directors, and concertmasters. For those out there listening who are starting their careers or who still have ambition, it's time to think more deeply about what it means to be an artist and take your destiny into your own hands. institutions won't be here for you. But for now, if Sweat's list constitutes the heroes of the industry, count me out and sign me up for a ticket to the first Steph Richards or Dan Rosenbaum show at the earliest convenience. And without further ado, I give you Steph Richards. Hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Cool. So yeah, now we're going. So we were just talking about COVID and creative practice and what you were saying was super interesting and I'm sad we missed it. So why don't you repeat or not, you know, why don't you go into detail? Don't repeat verbatim, but about what you've been doing during COVID and your creative practice during this time.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, I'm speaking for myself, but I'm, I'm hoping that other people, that this might resonate with some other people that essentially you know, we're, we're artists, we're we're not robots, like, um, and, you know, putting the nose, nose to the grindstone is is part of what we do. But the other part is being sensitive to our environment. And if the environment isn't calling, you know, with a bunch of gigs and a lot of uh, auditions and, and, you know, repertoire expectations and commissions and those types of things, if there's nothing in the calendar, um, for me, which there isn't (laughs) right now, I'm okay with slowing down and, and letting it s- simply just maybe taking a step back. You kind of mentioned that taking a step back and maybe assessing, what do I really believe in? What, what do I care about? What do I want to say with my horn? And when I do pick up my horn to practice, what do I actually want to practice and why am I practicing it? Um, but again, I want to sort of underline that like, if you're not picking up your horn right now, I, I really think that's okay we spend most of our lives with this output, constant output. And maybe this is a time to slow down and, and just get a little bit of input, or maybe even just be static for just a minute. Because I think that nobody knows what's going to happen. But essentially, like, yeah, we're, we're it, it will come, like the patience and the the, the the truth and the to be genuine to yourself as an artist. You know, I think that's okay just to be genuine. Like, I don't want to pick up my horn because there's nothing going on. That's totally okay.
0: Yeah, and I think that there's a lull in time that we've never experienced or at least hasn't been experienced for 70 or 80 years. I think this is well exemplified. I, it, there's an anecdote of JFK sitting with um, Gore Vidal, who at the time was a senator and or senatorial hopeful. But um, they uh, he asked JFK why, or JFK asked Gore Vidal how he how how was it possible that during 1776 the ten most important philosophers of political science. For a hundred years, happened to be in America, and how was it possible that they wrote about that subject so prolifically? And I think Gore Vidal said that it all has to do with time, and that these people were meeting in Congress, but then they were going off to their farms for eight months, Mm. and that gives time for ideas to sit and and you know processes to be fulfilled. And I think it it, it's true for the arts as well that we're living, like you said, in such a production heavy world and and now even more with social media that you have to be on Instagram all the time and you have to be active on YouTube and what are you doing in your blog and you have to have all these things and it's not necessarily the most conducive type of thing for meaningful production but I don't know I mean I'm I'm feeling like this moment is an interesting time because you have to come to terms with what you like you said who you are and what do you believe because nobody's really putting it in front of you
1: yeah absolutely that's it and you've got nobody nobody to um you know tell you tell you what what to play like here's here's the gig here's a repertoire or you know like you're saying with social media like I think a lot of people have taken a step back from social media too because they're like actually how much of this matters to me and 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 some of it really does you know you can feel a lot of connection and community from it but there's I think that there's um a certain way of being in the world and and being inspiring or you can kind of make other people feel like oh i should practice because i'm you know i'm, I'm not good, as good as this other person or whatever that's like super busy on social media and playing all the gigs you know versus the other person that like can be like super inspiring and just making you feel really um b- basically like creatively and artistically productive but anyway
0: you just hit on two things that are kind of important to me right now, which is, um, you know, when this whole thing started, particularly trumpet players, but I, it must have been in every facet of what we call classical music, which includes, uh, sadly, experimental music and all this, because we've boxed ourselves in these kind of crazy genre, stupid things. But
1: it's crazy to, sit, to be boxed in.
0: Yes. And it's also not helpful. But I, I, at the beginning, I mean, there were all these people sharing these things based on what they had been told. Was important for a career, and a lot of it was just so terrible, and not because the trumpet playing was bad, but it's just like, well, what what does Petrushka mean out of context, and what does Mahler Five mean out of context, and what is an excerpt, and how important is that for musical living or for artistic expression? Not very much, because the piece is the whole, right? Yeah. And then little by little, those have been reducing because people are not getting the attention they thought they would. And we're left with the more creative things gaining traction, which is kind of, for me, it's hopeful. But, you know, you were talking about, like, being relevant and thinking about why we do things, and I have this feeling that we're all talking about what is relevant right now and what means something at this moment, and I don't know, what, what does that mean to you? Because I have distinct feelings about that, but I'm curious because you mentioned it
1: of basically creating some like what does it mean to to make something that's relevant right now and yeah
0: and how how do you define that because you said like i'm asking myself why a lot
1: yeah well well i guess i should start by clarifying that I, i i believe that in this day and age in 2020 even during covid and maybe even especially during covid having a career in music it depends not it depends but like let me just try to put this properly like you know this because you went to Cal Arts, and, you know, the only way to survive and even to go to bed at night and, you know, like to, to really, when you think about like, what, what is my worth? It's putting out something that you believe in. And there's, there's so much bullshit out there that, you know, when you're in school, maybe, you know, certain schools that make you think, yeah, I have to play these excerpts. I have to play these etudes. I have to play these pedagogies that are like, 100 years old or even 50 years old and some of there's a lot of value in it, but this is 2020. I mean Carving out a path that's true to your own individual voice. I truly believe that's the really the only way that we can find a career in what we do and I know that everybody has important things to say about music as composers as improvisers you know even if you're a repertoire trumpet player choosing the repertoire choosing where you're going to place your repertoire you know what kind of location i think that 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 we need to you know be be true to our own voices essentially when we're going out in this career and that's the most relevant thing you know there's a place there's a time and place for historical music but it is 2020 and as you mentioned a second ago you know we we have especially as we have digitized music, we've started, we've like quarantined our own music into like different categories of, you know, this is indie rock, this is, this is jazz, but this is free jazz and this is, you know, standard jazz and this is classical music and new music and all of this stuff is actually kind of ridiculous. And if you yourself, you know, maybe you, you dig hip hop, but you also dig like Ligeti, you know, like you're going to create some music that's really relevant and important by combining those things that you truly love that are close to you. And I think, as you mentioned, there is a lot of possibility in these moments because we don't have the traditional expectations in place. We don't even have the traditional modes of performance in place. And so we're left trying to figure out if I wanna make something for people, how can I do it in a way that's meaningful? For some people, that means, yeah, playing online, putting on live streams, connecting that way. Other people maybe are a little bit dormant saying, I'm going to wait this out till I can you know, sit in a concert hall and feel the vibrations of other people. For me, I've got this project with smells um, that I'm trying to help feel a closeness to music by like considering what are the other parts of the environment that like help us to feel close to music and smell is, is definitely one of them so anyway that's a bit of a, ta- a tangent but um you know being, being relevant is essentially it's about being true to what we believe in and also following your curiosities
0: you know I- as far as boxing yourself in, what the the thing I find very very curious, and it's like you said, it's different when you go to a school like Cal Arts or even UCSD because of its tradition with, uh, you know, playing around with different elements. Yeah. Um, there's something really funny, like if it, and I know it's anecdotal, but I've just keep finding it over and over again. You know, I I have friends at what you would consider the most traditional schools, so you know, Colburn, Juilliard ish, Curtis, you know, but Uh, the really traditional ones, and they're practicing this music that's in a box all day. And then you grab their playlists on Spotify or something like that. It's very rarely orchestral music. And so that that begs the question, well, why are you doing this? And, you know, like you said, the traditional methods of music are kind of on hold now. We don't know what comes back and to what degree. I mean, obviously, in time they will, but you know, um, yeah, I, I actually do think like maybe, you know, even if it took five years, things will return. But the question is, what survives? And that idea that orc- orchestral institutions and even academic institutions were so comfortable that, like, oh, I'm doing this because I want a nine to five job in music. It's like, well, cool. But the Met Opera musicians are moving in back with their parents right now, like, which is in theory the most financially viable musical institution in North America, and the LA Phil lost the Hollywood Bowl uh, season, and now their half of the their staff is furloughed, and musicians are soon to follow because like that's what happens. It's so even in that regard. We can't even count on this as being a viable career path, which might be good because I don't know when we became as artists under the impression that we were owed a career in the music industry. It's famously hard.
1: Absolutely. And also this impression that uh, I, can, I can ignore what's on the radio, I can ignore what's in the news and still you know, have a successful career, you know, getting a salary making music, playing music by composers that that wrote about the world, you know, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, you know, 300 years ago. That's outrageous to me. <laughs> as, as again, I said, there's a time and place for historical music. And I, um, you know, museums are beautiful and important institutions. They give us a sense of who we are, you know, and a sense of grounding. But at the same time, like you're saying, when was it that we thought that suddenly we could ignore all the things happening in, in, in real life and still think that we could get a job being musicians? I mean, it's, it's up to us to be checking out, you know, what's on Spotify. Well, maybe not Spotify. I'm not in with that. <laughs> but, you know, being, being aware of what's happening in the world. And, like, and I'm not saying make direct translations, you don't have to necessarily. Um, You know write a a concrete protest piece although maybe that that is your way of communicating but absolutely you know listening and being open because and and then taking responsibility for moving the platform of how we create forward it's not simply enough to write a piece of music i think it's also we have to be thinking about especially right now during covid how how can we find uh, outlets, how can we connect with other people in ways that are meaningful and that are not following, you know, the traditional institutions of Walt Disney Concert Hall, at Carnegie Hall, etc., you know, and on the fringe, experimental musicians, when I say experimental, that includes indie rock, hip-hop, jazz, classical, you know, these people are, have already been working at this, you know, since, since the history of, of the avant-garde, so, um, If we could all, all of us, even while you're in school, you know, understand that this is part of the responsibility to push this whole thing forward, right? It's not just what you're saying out of your horn. It's where you're saying it and how you're saying it.
0: I think especially while we're at school, and this is where it's cool that people like you have landed academic positions, because it's sort of rare, actually. You know, I was talking to CJ Camerari about this, because we were saying, well, what's the... Imaginary academic setting that needs to change like well, like if I gave you a magic wand, what is it that we magically go change at Juilliard that changes the paradigm and he said something very poignant, which is by the time he gets a job at Juilliard, if that ever happens, he will no longer be connected to the thing that made him who he is, so he will be shout, you know giving advice to people on a career path that's not even viable anymore because when he was innovative and in touch with it Mm -hmm. they wouldn't touch them and it's it's interesting that ucsd did give you an opportunity to like that and they were looking for somebody like you if it hadn't been you it would have been somebody like you i'm i'm convinced about that so i mean it's great that you're there but i i i I believe it starts actually with students because there's this idea that you grab the most creative people with the most you know bushy tail and big eyes uh, that think that they can change the world, then the first thing you tell them is that they can't, whereas schools should be the place where they fail continuously in order to move on. Absolutely, you
1: know? yeah. I mean, I'll say, I, for my undergrad, and I studied with Jim Thompson, who's absolutely brilliant, and I'll always be so, so glad and lucky that I got to study with him. But um, from an administrative side, my first day of school, um, you know, the, whatever, the the dean had come out and said, you know, one in three of you performers will go on to having a career in music. And I looked at, you know, the two people next to me and I was like, oh, is it you? Is it you? You know, who's going to do it? But then, you know, this person went on to say that, you know, it's important to consider pursuing a career in arts administration, which arguably has nothing to do with what we <laughs> what we do as performers. Obviously, we have a lot of administrating to do. But um it, it struck me on my very first day, you know, bright eyed, bushy tailed to have somebody say, you know, you should you should consider a backup in doing arts admin because it's so hard to make it in music instead of, you know, um, the philosophy at a place like CalArts or UCSD or whatnot, where literally when I when I got to CalArts and Ed was just like, you got to blaze your own trail. That's the only way you're going to make it in music. And and he's right. And it's true. And I am living proof. And you are living proof, right? Like COVID hit, you know, all of us experimental freelancing people, we have all these kind of like side hustles to try to survive. And I wish that it wasn't that way that we could dedicate 110% to our freelance career, but we have side hustles. That's part of, that's part of American society right now. That's, that's, those are the values that our, our politics have sort of <laughs> left us with. But we persevere and we create and we have our side hustles to, to keep us going. But um, anyway, I'm I, in some way I'm I guess I'm saying that that you are well prepared <laughs> in a crazy way for something like this, you know?
0: Yeah, I was saying that to, to God. Who? Oh, Dan Rosen. because it was the first one I recorded. It's being released soon. But you know, uh, I think that part of what I I thought immediately and why I thought he should. I would start the conversations, at least he would get me going, even if he wasn't the first released. It would be, the, exactly would just say it. I feel like um, experimental artists are better poised always to roll with the punches because there's no determinate career path in front of you, ever. And that's always been true with artists. I don't understand, I mean, it's, it's kind of like this hindsight 2020, you know, like of course Haydn leads to Beethoven, but why? Like, it didn't at the time. Like, it, Beethoven had to show up and do what he did yeah, to make that so obvious. Right. Um, and we've lost track of that in the way we teach music education.
1: Absolutely.
0: From yeah. level one to a hundred. You know, it's, it's very sad.
1: If I could stress inside of that, too, you know, one of the, you know, you're talking about Haydn and Beethoven, like, these guys were like killer improvisers. And that's a, that's a, a, a major... Um, sort of holistic part of what it means to be a trumpet player right now that for some reason we've cut that out if you consider yourself an orchestral player or or a classical player whatever that means right um but yeah imp- improvisation is it's 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 the core of what we do. It's, we look at the history of all of the composers that we love. right? They're all improvisers. The trumpet players that we, we love, many, many, many of them, at, I, arguably, once you start to know a piece of repertoire well enough, you're improvising in a way. But um, that's a bit of a dis- distraction for what I'm trying to say. I think basically along the lines of what you're saying, um, we've forgotten that being an improviser is it's it's the core of what we are as music creators. So,
0: well, but that, you know, that kind of thing that you do uh and what you're talking about promoting. And you said it a little bit earlier. It's like there's a big difference between God, how do you say? And now you can't say this without being nice to people. Uh there's two types of people. There's people that value their artistic worth based on their schedules and people that value their artistic worth based on their artistic endeavors. And um, I think that the music scenes in L.A., New York, I mean, obviously the busy cities, Paris is probably the same, um, is governed a little bit by this idea that busy doing gigs makes you a successful and prominent artist where, you know, it typically doesn't historically. Yeah, I'm sure there were plenty of very well-paid paid pianists in Beethoven's era, but we don't know who they were, except right. in some mention to a premiere of Beethoven's work. And that's okay. I mean, you can make a living with that, but I think that there's a confusion in calling everything in the artistic field art making. And that would be an interesting shift for me to happen during COVID, because it's so obvious who is who's creating work and who's just, you know.
1: Following the rules.
0: Well, or doing somebody else's work, which is fine.
1: Mm, yeah, um, Yeah.
0: So let's transition a little bit. Let's see. I wanna know, like in this discussion, because there's a danger when you talk about creativity, that there's a I think a misunderstanding and I had it until for, until recently, actually, when I've been working with an educator that teaches creative thinking. That's like her whole whole thing. There's this theory that creativity is like being loose and open and all this stuff. But I find that the most creative people I've ever met are people that are very, very good at working within very restrictive paradigms. So I don't know if, how do you approach your own creative practice in that regard?
1: Yeah. Well, um, I'll start by saying, you know, being creative is a lot of work, <laughs> right? Um, it takes a lot of energy to generate, to be producing, to be, you know, creating the, 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 the output into the world. And so um, you know, as much as I'd like to say like, oh, I just like l- wait for the idea to just like place itself on my head. You know, a lot of the time uh, we, you just need to s- literally just set a timer and say, I'm gonna do this thing, here are the rules of the game, you know, for the next 20 minutes, for the next 45 minutes, whatever it is. I like to work in 20 minute increments, um, even when I practice. Uh, but, uh, you know, structure, can be uh, incredibly inspiring, and so um, setting some some type of structure when i'm composing I, I, I really very much like to set up what are going to be the rules and I, I think of them as games um, a lot of times what what are the rules of this situation um, you know and and it can be anything from the materials that that, that you're working with i e the instruments. Um, that you're thinking of to, you know, could be something more, more harmonic or, or rhythmic or something like that. But yeah, very much structure is, uh, creativity, like breathes itself inside of structure. I think.
0: I thought for a long time, that idea that creativity could not be taught. And then you start analyzing the way architects and designers go to, through school and even engineers, mm-hmm. which is this idea, like here's, the problems from reality. So like you have gravity, you have, you know, basically anything that has to do with the building falling down or restrictions of space or whatever. And it's like, now you get, build whatever you want on it, but it better work. We have a misunderstanding in the arts that like, you know, I've heard it so many times from a very pro- like, like, uh, proficient trumpet players and musicians that are oh, I'm just not creative like that. It's like, yeah, but your proficiency is huge. Like your tools are gigantic. So yeah. if you just force yourself into a tight situation, don't you think your tools could get you out? I mean, that mm. for me is creativity, but I yeah. don't know.
1: But that's, that's. I mean, this is a little bit of a diversion, but I just want to say something about that because I know for me, you know, the technique was, has always been a challenge. It continues to be, um, you know, even, yeah, it like it, from the very beginning, you know, it, it was for me. And I think that in some way, it, and it has ended up being quite a benefit to me because, you know, as a performer, if I play certain moves, you know, I do certain things in the upper register, I do a certain, you know, certain extended techniques, like it's gonna cost me, you know, that night. And so there's intention behind some of these expressions. And um, like you're saying, you know, maybe people that have a lot of those tools and they say, oh, I'm, I'm not the creative type, when you don't have those tools, it, it does force you to, to be really, really intentional about what you're trying to say. Um, does that make sense to you, what I'm, what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, and actually, it goes back to uh, um, I read a little thing from Stravinsky regarding technique, and it changed my whole view on it because I've always kept them so separate in my head. And he said, at the end of the day if the product I'm paraphrasing, but at the end of the day, if the product you create or like the composition, the improv that you went through, whatever it is, is truthful to an expression of who you are and your voice, you can't ever end up having the conversation of separating the artist from his technique or lack thereof. That you, you can say Bach has tremendous technique but you can't really imagine Bach without it. You can't say, oh, or, or, you know, you can say Chopin had very bad orchestral orchestration technique, but you couldn't imagine that his piano concerto would sound any different had he had bigger orchestration technique. It's just not possible because that's not linked to the voice of what is meaningful to an audience or to a, a listener.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Yeah.
0: Yeah, And I'm sh- I sh- I mean, the whole thing is true in the arts as well. I mean, you could, uh, have somebody like da vinci with perfect technique but at the end that's not what matters it's it's what transcends past it or you can have someone like pollock arguably ter- terrific technique but not necessarily in use and then that also transcends a barrier of communication mm-hmm.
1: yeah and 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 when you you know when we talk to all of all of the wonderful trumpet players that inspire us around the world you know like in in a master class like they're not talking about technique most of the time, maybe there's a small sliver of that, but a lot of the time it's talking about the bigger, the bigger things in life, you know, like what, what moves you really, what is it, what is it, where's the beauty in in your world? And and I think that that's like, it's so easy to quantify technique and it's extraordinarily difficult to quantify um, the beauty in your life. And maybe the reason why we play music is because it can't be quantified, you know, essentially. But if you were to look at your, your practice session holistically in that way, you know, how much percentage are you spending on accessing beauty in, in, your, in your session? I mean, if you're just going to play two hours, like, great, good on you. But like, where are you going to get that, 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 you know, creativity that you're talking about?
0: Well yeah, and there has to be something there has to be something that you want to say, right? It becomes super important to really evaluate what it is you want to say. Like it can't just be an exploration into perfection, right?
1: Right. Well, if it depends on how you define perfection, but yeah.
0: Well, in in that regard, what where do you draw um the most from like i mean obviously different artists have different places that they go to i mean i know hokan's an avid reader and uh cj was talking about design being super important to him is there and you know even if it's just records which i've gone into long discussions with people about records what what is it for you that like um helps you kind of sideways get into your own space
1: you know what it is, Um, maybe this sounds kind of bad, but like, or good, whatever it is. But like, for me, what it is, is being in an audience, in a live concert or somewhere. I mean, yeah, for me, it's always being in a concert, but I'm being inspired, not necessarily by the music (laughs) being played, but by the, um, the setting, to be in a dark space with a lot of people with a lot of energy. Um, I find I do like almost all of my like initial, like the first few steps of a composition, it's always done in a concert hall, sitting in the audience, watching someone else perform. And the music might not have anything to do with what's going on stage, but something about the, the space for me helps me feel lost in a, in a way that can where I can find find the ideas um and I can hear music most clearly, even if it's in my head and it's not what's happening on stage um that's where that's where I get a lot of my inspiration from. I know that sounds completely cuckoo, but I'm just telling you the absolute truth
0: <laughs> no, I don't really think it does i I, I think um this is something that I kind of i I'm, I'm sad that we're trying to get rid of to some degree um, as kind of this quote unquote. Liked to decolonize the concert hall or whatever mm-hmm. um there's an element of grandiose religiosity to the setting of a lot of concert experiences and i don't you know I, i'm yeah i'm not a very religious person at all mm-hmm. but i do think that there is something amazing about rites of of events in general and I think that there is a ritual to concert going experiences whether that's a jazz concert at a club or whether that's going to the Phil that I, I, I honestly think to some degree that's what attracts more people than the content because the content is so lazy these days for some of these places
1: absolutely Nico you like nailed it on the head that's 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 I, I completely agree it's the rituals that Um, invite a space of fantasy and you know you talked about yeah jazz clubs concert halls but also you know like like going to a movie theater you know is is there's a ritual behind that and there's fantasy inside of that black dark room that you're sitting in a space with a whole bunch of other people you know with all your focus on in one location on one thing um yeah, I think there's a reason that there's an architecture behind a lot of these these um, arts venues. Um, and we don't have to throw that out when we're trying to find relevance in how we can present music. Um, but I, I I completely agree that ritual is crucial in helping us being able to live in that space of fantasy.
0: In fact, I would argue that we should dig our heels deeper. If, if I was... Magically, and of course, this is without first thing I would do is hire an economist to sit next to me. But yeah. if I was put in charge of the LA Phil granted, everything comes back to normal and they still have a budget, uh, I would slash their season in half as far as the 50 day concert series and make it 25. You pay them the same, but each rehearsal schedule is two weeks and concentrate or focus on what about the experience can be unique it, it, because it, it's already semi-unique to people. It's still, the people take it as a date night. It's a good date night. You know what I mean? It's what you're saying about theaters. <laughs> people go to dinner and go to the symphony, but they're not so thrilled about Beethoven anymore. Um, so how do you transcend that and do what other art forms, including opera have been doing for so such a long time. So well, which is the whole night is the experience. Um, right. And it's what you're saying, going to a theater, going to, um, you know, food. The, the most impressive restaurants today have more to do with theater than they have to do with food.
1: Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, let's not dismiss, like, how, how and where is, like, you know, experimental hip-hop happening? Like, where's the indie rock? Like, where are those venues? How, what are those rituals looking like? Why how are we, how are these artists drawing, you know, such a like dedicated fan base that like, you know, love, love the artist. What is it that, how is it that we're creating this space for people to fall in love? Right. Um, And like you're saying, the theater, the drama, the ritual, the um, exclusivity, you know, these are all parts of, of music making. Um, And that's why I, you know, kind of going back to what I said earlier, how it's not just about what you're creating, but how and where you're, you're creating it. These are, these are things we need to think about. And then especially during COVID, right? Like for me, and I'll speak personally, I think there's a vast amount of information that's lost when I'm performing online digitally. We have to do what we can, right? But at the same time, um, if, I'm, if I'm trying to put on a show with someone um, and I can only hear them through my computer, I'm, my, I, I'm missing a lot of the information from their body that they the vibrations that their body is emitting. I, I'm, I can't hear that. I can't feel that and I can't play with that. And um, so that's a really difficult. This is a difficult platform for me to uh, to really believe in. And so, so my way of getting around it is like, okay, well, if I'm going to put on a live show, you know, where's, where's it going to happen? How's it going to happen in a safe way? Um, does it have to, does it have to happen right now? Maybe the world needs a little bit of silence, you know, for a little bit longer. Um, but, you know, like what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation, you know, if we could uh, <laughs> compose pieces for um, outdoor spaces uh, in a way that audiences could connect and feel that same sense of ritual and exclusivity and fantasy. Um, how can that be done? You know? So I'm, these are things I'm thinking about right now.
0: Well, and this is like, you're talking about, you, you brought up hip hop and, and indie rock and we in classical and to some degree, you know, to a great degree, actually, it's my biggest issue with new music, even though I belong to that world, we have become so dismissive. Of forms of art that we view of the people, mm-hmm. um, and not of intellectual capacity, which is hilarious because, like, some of the most prominent composers I've met are some of the most dullard people I've also met. Like, they're yeah. not intellectuals at all. Um, but yeah. you know, we have this idea that there's uh, the people, and then there's people that know best, right? Yeah. And what you're talking about rituals and um, magic's magic moments which is really why we entered the field this is where i i've i've thought about it a lot like we there's a huge dismissal for example from the artistic community of places like disney you know what i mean
1: i was just going to talk about oh you're talking (laughs) about disney condor hall or disneyland disneyland (laughs) disneyland Disneyland, disney world the disney company right yes yes yes. (laughs) yeah go
0: for it and then i'll tell you what i think you you, you go for it
1: okay well here's 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 where the ritual comes into play you know like if, if you've gone to Disneyland, you know, you're going to wait in line for a long time. But the brilliance of seeing how the architecture of, of the lineups itself, the design behind that, when you're standing in line, you go through all these twists and turns and, and you are already been, being immersed in the world. You're anticipating the ride that you're about to go on. And I think it's absolutely brilliant and beautiful. And that's part of what, you know, these concert halls still have is that there is this anticipation, this exclusivity. There's this this fantasy. When you walk in the doors of a venue, ideally, if it's a good concert hall, you know, there's already going to be a vibe. There's already going to be cues in the environment that are going to help you to anticipate the magic that's, you know, behind those, you know, doors of, of the audience that you have to, you know, walk through once you get into the audience. So is that what you're going to talk about?
0: Yeah. And, and and part of what goes tied to that is that I think in our kind of, um, not to lump us in there, but you know, you know what I'm talking about, the general hour um, dismissal of things like Disney, because people say like, oh, that's just Disney, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But the the misunderstanding behind that is that there's there's little understanding of the amount of forethought and great command yeah. that has gone behind these things. Yeah. That it's not easy to build that cue so that people are entertained. It's not easy in the middle of Anaheim to distract people about the fact that they're in Anaheim or in <laughs> Orlando, that they're in a swampland. That okay. is so hard. And if you go into like their, you know, I just finished a like eight part documentary on Imagineering. Uh, that's on Disney+, Plus, and they talk a lot about one of the early people in Imagineering put together a handbook called like what, you know, the, the preset like the, the these are the things Imagineers do, right? And a lot of it has to do with no detail goes unnoticed. You have to make it so believable and so integral to the experience that nobody would say, oh I know that that castle isn't really a castle. It, it needs to, even though we all know it's not it needs to all feel real. And I think the arts could learn in that regard that once you enter an artistic moment, whether that be a museum, a dance you know, experience, uh, Burning Man, anything, everything to some degree is an opportunity to immerse the audience in your vision of this moment in time. Yes, yes, yeah. And it's hard. It's so hard. It's not as easy as, oh, we just won't have chairs in the concert hall. You know, like it's not... <laughs> Yeah, it's not yeah. simple solutions.
1: It's not simple solutions. And the truth is you just can't take your audience for granted. And you, you know, I, I think like, this has kind of got, gotten me thinking about like the like roots, roots of jazz, right? Like this, this, is, this is America's true uh, folk music. And, and, and it kind of grew into a, an art. Well, it was already always an art form, but it grew into art music. At a certain point but a lot of these musicians they couldn't take for granted those institutions because they didn't exist so they had to find new ways of engaging an audience and creating that sense of fantasy right um anyway this is a bit of a diversion from what we're talking about but i just think it's important that we you know like you're saying we can't just simply take the chairs out of a concert hall and think it's going to be new and fresh or like just throw a dj in there and it's going to be great <laughs> you know it's like um <laughs> We, we can't take for granted um, what it takes to find that, that magic and that fantasy. Um, so, yeah, it's one thing to try to try to get really good at your repertoire, but you know, it's still your job to figure out where it's going to be played and how it's going to be presented. And also, why are you, you know, playing this piece to begin with?
0: I think that's a hugely important question to ask is, why am I doing this and does this matter to me? you know i i kind of think that if it matters to you it should matter to your audience if you're good at it you know what i mean like you don't really need to pander to what you think the audience wants but you need to be so convinced that you can convince others
1: that's it that's it yeah so much so that like when you're playing it you feel like you don't have a choice that isn't you know like when i'm improvising at the end of it you know there's this you know how did it go how's the show and it's just like honestly, I don't know. (laughs) Like I didn't have a choice, whatever came out of my horn. Like that's what, that's just what happened in the moment. And and it's not really about whether I liked it or not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So sometimes I don't like it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But that's okay too, right? I mean, that's just part of, of living. I mean, that's another thing that I'm, I've always been passionate about that, or not passionate about, vocal about that has gotten me, not in trouble, but that people think is too dangerous of a thought. But I inherited this from many different mentors is this idea that what we do, even though it's tremendously powerful and important to society, it's not you don't die. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. if the concert doesn't go well, nobody died. You're not a heart surgeon that butch, you know, that butched an operation. You're you're a trumpet player. And if you have a bad night or you go for something and it wasn't great, we we have the benefit of being in a profession where that's okay. You know, um, and not taking yourself too seriously, but taking your creative processes very seriously is kind of like that towing the line, you know?
1: well, here's one thing I'm gonna say to that, Nico, because like, I feel like it's true, taking your creative processes seriously, but not not the the details, right? Like not the not the whatever you miss a note. It's no big deal. Um, but it is about the intention. And I think that the intention is life or death. What we do when you zoom out like okay, it's not heart surgery, but like this is this is life. This is living. This is this is being alive in on this planet, right? Like arguably heart surgery is a detail, but when it comes to truly existing and feeling a sense of existence, this is life or death what we're doing. What we're what we're creating this sense of fantasy, this sense of of togetherness that we do as musicians it is life or death and it really matters and so when you know for me the problem i have is sometimes when i hear people playing and they're just kind of bullshitting and it it bothers me because why are you not only wasting my time but why are you wasting your time what we do we are so lucky to do this thing that can change the world that can change someone's heart in a in a moment that can that can sweep us away to this, this place of, of, of infinite. And so I hear what you're saying, like on the surface. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fucking missed note. No big deal. But the thing, what were you saying? What was behind the missed note? Was there real intention there? Did you, were you paying attention in that moment? Because what we do is life or death, meaning what we do in this t- as musicians to our society, to the greater history of the world is one of the most important things. I really believe it. It's one of the most important things that, that one could ever do.
0: My God, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I think that that's kind of where I was going with it too. And then yeah. it's, it, we need to promote intent much more than we promote, um, the objective, uh, kind of right yeah. or wrong in that regard. You know what I mean? Um, because I agree with you, we're teaching too, too much, um, half acid but do it accurately you know what i mean yeah instead yep, of exactly. go for it it's okay if you miss but it's very but if you don't this is what you do this is your responsibility there's no medals for participation in the arts you know what i mean
1: absolutely absolutely yeah
0: and historically artists are also important because we are i you know when people tell me that art can change the world i Tend to disagree because I'm a little cynical. I've never thought that art has huge impacts during the moment. You know, like I I don't think Guernica made General Franco stop his killings in Spain, and I don't think the Shostakovich symphonies made Stalin cry. Uh, However, what they have tremendous power in, what art is so important, why we have to be very clear with our intent and very honest and very diligent, art captures time better than anything on earth better than history books better than anything if you want to truly know what the aesthetics of the 1920s were you just have to look look at the architecture listen to the music and look at the design and fashion and same going back through time and same for right now so I mean we need to have a tremendous amount of responsibility in that we are probably capturing this moment for generations in the future Mm -hmm.
1: exactly and that's that's kind of coming back to that first thing we were saying you've got to pay attention to what's what's on the radio what do you what do you, like whatever's on that playlist that you're listening to you know like make sure you're finding a way for that to be coming out through the music that you're choosing to express and you know and I and I completely believe that like yeah if you're playing a, a piece of repertoire that was written 50 years ago but you think that there's relevance and you can find a way to 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 make it relevant in 2020 then like absolutely play this music. You know, there, there's, there's a place for this music. It's beautiful. It shouldn't just be disregarded because it's old, but it is up to you to make sure that you are placing it in a way that, that is relevant. Right. So, yeah.
0: Well, the path that you've followed and that a lot of creative artists have followed, I, why don't you tell me a little bit about, you know, I, I mean, I think you look back when you've established some success like you have, or, you know, some others, and you think, oh, everything fell into place just the way it needed to, right? Um, but I want you to look back and try to relive what it was like in the moment. Like, do you feel that it took, or it takes, still, like, tremendous active courage to leave, lead a life that's kind of not, kind of the easy, especially entering academia, kind of not the easy, um, do this and you'll do fine type of thing
1: yeah it does take a lot of courage, I think to do this um, encourage I want to define this as like <laughs> like like you're gonna have to defend your choices to your your parents or your your family or your friends or your you know or even other colleagues you know in the music world you might not feel like you're as good as them or or whatnot, and part of it is just simply just really trying to connect in that little thing deep down saying like i I have to I, I, I have to do this because I, I love it and, it and it makes me happy. And, and I believe that I have something to say in a way that no one else can say it, right? And I do think that's true to, to, to everybody, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking a little bit about students right now when you're in school and it's, it feels so hard to, um, you know, to, to even envision what, what a career might look like. The thing is like, I didn't know what my career was gonna look like when I, when I got out of school. I was kind of saying yes to the gigs that I thought were interesting. And I tried a couple gigs that I, that paid and that I hated. <laughs> and I learned not to do those things again, but, you know, sometimes we don't know exactly what, what is ahead of us, but if you keep following your curiosity, following the things that you're interested in and also generate, generate the, the gigs that you want to be playing yourself. You know, it's not just about waiting for the phone to ring, but sometimes, you know, you're the one that's creating those, those opportunities for other people, like what you're doing right now, Nico, like starting this amazing conversation with so many beautiful trumpet players around the world, right, that's like, that's one really beautiful way to like move forward in your own career. Um, And I'm not just talking about like making contacts or whatnot, but like for you as an artist, you know, like you're getting all this input, all this like conversation with with other people and that's part of how we grow and, and you're actively trying to pursue that. Um, so I guess when I'm thinking back to my early days, I didn't know what was, what was going to, going to come, but I was really, I was just trying to do my best, you know, every day. And I, and I was trying not to play the bullshit gigs that I didn't believe in that I, you know, um, and I played some of them, (laughs) but you know, for the most part, I, I, I tried to follow the the music that I, I really thought was important.
0: Is it in your nature, is it in your personality to distrust of large large groups what do you mean by that um is it easy has it always been easy for you to kind of say or has it always sat poorly with you when somebody tells you do this you should not do this you should do this because everyone else does this i'm just curious that i don't know what the answer is.
1: Well, I think I did that for a long time. I remember I was um, considering going to school in Sweden and this really great teacher, you know, heard me and heard my sound and the way I played. And he was just like, you're going to make a really excellent second trumpet player uh, in an orchestra. Um, And I kind of had asked like, well, you know, can I, can I, can I hang out in some of these jazz clubs? Cause at the time I was, I was interested in jazz. And he was like, no, (laughs) you will not improvise. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember, um, you know, I, I, I really was tempted to, to stay because it was a really clear path to be able to play second trumpet in an orchestra in Europe. I mean, what an what a amazing life to have. But I think there was this part of me that was like, well, but I'm still curious about those jazz clubs. Like I want to be able to check them out. Um, and so I, I, I eventually kind of went a different direction simply because there was this thing <laughs> in the back of my mind that was just like you know, my CD collection at the time had nothing to do with what I was playing in, in real life. And, and it was really, I had, I, I, I wanted to figure out how I could r- make, merge the two, right? Like, how can I play the music that I, that I like to listen to? <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: That's been a common thread with everyone from uh, Mike Sachs to Marco Blau, that um, yeah. this idea that what you're listening to from an early age should be what dictates your tastes and mm-hmm. that it, it, it's not enough to follow the path if you're not into it you know whatever that path may be i mean i, I could sit a young student and say you should do what stephanie richards did and, and it wouldn't work for them you know what i mean if if they're not into what do you do right so exactly. it, it's i guess the, the reason i was asking is because you know I'm, I'm tremendously interested too in the type of personalities that have the courage to it's not so much stand against the Borg because that's not really, that sounds like there's a real conflict. And I don't think that the conflict's really that big, but uh, I've always found that there's something in me and in some other people that, that, you know, I know that have followed this path that have a tremendous kind of radar against whatever it's almost for me, it's almost like a kick instinct. If you tell me, this is the truth and I know it's the truth and there's no new nuance in there. I'll be like, okay, so I'm not going to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of that. I mean, I'm definitely like always I've been attracted to like novelty, like what's new, what's like outside. But the truth is, is like I never fit in from the beginning. I never fit in. I didn't fit in with the, the, with the, with, with the trumpet players in in the studio and in the orchestra, you know, I just, Part of it is because I was a woman, and at the time there weren't that many, um, but another part of it is I think I didn't have the, the chops. <laughs> My sound, you know, I, I, I just never fit in in those, in those scenes. Even in the, you know, in the straight-ahead jazz, like, I, I didn't fit in in that scene either, and so part of it wasn't really me trying to resist, um, you know, what was expected and try to blaze a new trail, but it was really just that, you know what, I, I don't fit in there anyway. Um, so I, I have to keep doing, doing something. I have to keep doing the, the thing that I'm, I, I believe in and that I'm trying to do. And it, it doesn't fit in with those other, you know, circles of people, but you keep going because, <laughs> because that's what you have to do.
0: Now, this might segue us into something that I had no intention of necessarily bringing up. And I don't know what your feelings are about it, but based on the career path you followed and the type of personality you have, I think you probably have very interesting things to say about it. and based on what you just said, which is, I especially, you know, when you were st- starting out, but even especially more before that, I, I think that there's still that thing, especially in trumpet. I, I don't think it's true anymore in violin or flute or any of those things, but being a woman in trumpet is still a thing um not so much because there aren't plenty of amazing women trumpet players which there are especially young ones but because like you said um those settings are still the remnants of a time period that hasn't come to an end you know like uh, a lot of the people playing in orchestras got those jobs in the 80s and 90s you know so obviously they're not in vogue to what
1: and academia but yeah yeah
0: yeah and and But one thing that's interesting about you that you just said, and that's why I want to ask you about it, is you were somebody that recognized. Well, I don't fit in here, so let me just do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. Tell tell me a little bit if you have any feelings about because I have sort of a distaste for this, but I I find that because this is the truth or has been the truth, and it's changing, but it's still there. um, Do you feel that there's a lot of tokenism? in some of the fields where people decide to try to stay and fight it.
1: Can you, can you ask that question? Like tokenism in this, can you ask that question again? I just want to make
0: I'm just going to come at this from the point of view of my own.
1: Yeah, just straight Um, up say it. Yeah.
0: So my, uh, my relationship to this is as a Latino person. Um, And most recently because the New York Times put out this thing where there were a bunch of black and Latino classical musicians advocating for the end of blind auditions which made me terribly angry because it implies that latino and black musicians are not good enough to get in without help Mm, and that kind of cemented something that i've always felt which is that it's no use to try to fit into a system that you don't even like anyway and and then to question your own career based on that on on well, I got in because of this. And okay. I think that there's something interesting about the way you've carved your own path, basically because you said, well, why am I, why would I, f- I, mean, I mean, I'm, my question is, cause I felt this, I I've, I've felt, why would I try to claim that this is unjust if I don't even want to belong to this thing? Like, what's the advantage of me sitting here if that's the way I feel about it?
1: Right. Right. I mean, that's the truth. Yeah. And you know, coming back to that that word you used earlier, that, that kind of tokenism. Like, I'll tell you, I've definitely gotten gigs simply because I'm a female trumpet player. But that those number of gigs compared to the gigs I didn't get because I'm a female trumpet player. You know, um, it it uh, there, there's just so so many uh, obstacles, probably ones that I've chosen not even to be aware of, to be completely honest. Certain teaching opportunities, I know that part of, part of my invitation to be, you know, a part of certain teaching opportunities is, is in part because I'm a woman and it used to bother me because I used to think, well, aren't I good enough on my own? The thing is, I know I'm good enough on my own, but on my own means I, I, hold on nico i'm trying to like be real with you in a way that like can be like public can i just well, say this for real without yeah
0: yeah absolutely go for it
1: i just think it is it's so fucking hard to be of a, a, like a woman sometimes and like you're saying like you're like, like latino like people have expectations and like The, the, the complexities that you have to deal with, like not just in the trumpet, but like on a daily basis are hard to articulate sometimes, right? Sometimes you don't know, you can't like even, sometimes I don't even know like why I'm being left out of a certain situation. Um, so I guess that's a long way about saying that like the tokenism, I accept it it's not that it, like, it, it, it bothers me a little bit, but I, I accept it, and, and in fact, I celebrate that people are aware of their privilege, whether it's a platform like the New York Times where they're saying like, oh, maybe, maybe we need to, like, actually step back and, like, consider, like, the diversity of, like, who we're celebrating here. Um, I need to celebrate that because that's still progress, even if it feels, um, feels like I'm being celebrated for something, not simply just my, my, ex, my creative expression. But the truth is like, I am a woman. And that is, I don't play like I do because I'm a woman, but I have been treated as a woman my whole life. And I'm sure that part of that comes out in my playing and um, it, it shouldn't be ignored. And in fact, I've, I'd much rather celebrate that aspect than pretend that it doesn't exist. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I'm up for that. I'm actually like, let me see if I can articulate this clear, uh, what your position is. You're, you're basically saying, yes, many opportunities are tokenistic, but that doesn't, so, so what, right? Nobody should stop themselves from taking those opportunities because that's why it happened, right?
1: Absolutely not,
0: and I agree with you. I, I I often say when people are like, "Well, he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, and it's like, "Well, what do you expect him to do now? Give it up. Like that's <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, and And, in fact, you you have to use those opportunities to bring your voice forward. I think where I find you very interesting in in this aspect and why I thought I would go into this subject once you mentioned that part of it is, yes you've taken advantage of those opportunities and why wouldn't you and yes it's a good course correction in some ways absolutely um but i've never seen you use that platform to start a career yeah you're just can you it's like you said i know i'm good enough to be here so cool you know uh i i'm i'm more interested in And maybe this never goes on record but do you see a danger because i do see it in the latino community i I see that there's a danger that you become famous for being the token and then you espouse how difficult it is even though you've been given a platform which means that you're the beneficiary of progress right so you're declaiming lack of progress from a position you've been given because of progress
1: yeah i hear what you're saying totally
0: I mean, not that this will go on record, but a perfect example of this, for example, would be Abby Conan, who
1: let me look that up. Or Abby you...
0: yeah, Abby was a trombone player in Munich. She's very famous. Uh, <laughs> oh, because okay. she Celibidake fucked her out of her principal trombone position because she was a woman. Hmm. She's in large part the reason that orchestral auditions are blind. She won a five year lawsuit to get her job back.
1: Okay, okay. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah.
0: Uh, huge success story, obviously, uh, in the sense of that's probably done more for women in orchestras than anything, that lawsuit. Um, but of course, that experience uh, left a very deep mark on Abby. And this happened in the 80s, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of her students are under the impression that their life is just as difficult as Abby Conan's. And it's like, but it isn't.
1: Right, right.
0: Like, and that's what I was, I think is so interesting about you and some black artists I know, and a lot of Latino artists I know that they just say, let's not question why I got here, but let's not also use this as a platform to say that this is not an, a, a, a symbol of change as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, every, I, I, obviously a lot of elements in the music industry are still in change. Like everything in society, everything is in progress constantly. Right.
1: Yeah. 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 But, you know, it's, this is a, a choice I, I make all the time, actually, you know, like right now, I've, I've got an album coming out and like, you know, just thinking about the PR and, you know, the, the imaging that you, you associate with a project and, and how you promote yourself, you know, like I really try to put the focus on the 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 product or the music or you know the what is it that what's the creation you know that's that's where I want the attention yes I could <laughs> I could spend more t- you know take take up more airwaves talking talking about my experience um, and and the difficulties I faced as a female trumpet player there's there's some there's some terrible terrible things I've had to go through but you know for the purposes of you know my music, um, I think it's most, I, I, try to put, I try to put my energy on, on my art. That's what I'm trying to say. And I'm not trying to not take, not be responsible. Like I know that there's a responsibility as, as, a, as a female performer, part of my job is to acknowledge the difficulties and to make sure that that's a conversation that we're all having so that we can always continue to be aware of this and help uplift all of our brothers and all of our sisters, right, along the way. Um, And so I'm not trying to shrug it off, but I am trying to say that, um, as you noted, I don't use that, you know, being a woman um, necessarily as one of my primary platforms or primary, um, you know, um, jumping off points for for conversation. Um, It's certainly something that I'm, I I feel very strongly about, um, you know, talking about and, and trying to enlighten <laughs> the conversation in in terms of gender. Uh, but, you know, I do want to talk about my music and, and, and my trumpet playing. Um, yeah. This, I, is that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, and that's kind of my frustration with it. Um, you know, you've seen me and I'm a complicated character for a lot of Americans to understand because... <laughs> I am. There's a misunderstanding in North America and in Europe that Latin Americans all look the same, but, you know, it's like one of the most um, diverse racial groups. Mm. Um, And that's how we've viewed it basically since the colony. It's like first it was indigenous and and there was a very immediate crossbreeding in Latin America Mm. um, that didn't exist in North America. And so um, first with the indigenous communities but then later with the black community they came in and uh, something that's hard to understand for north americans and this is why i'm such a complicated character you can be a white latino and it doesn't mean that your family arrived there two minutes ago yeah uh, my family has been in colombia since 1616
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: and so sometimes i'm i'm told well you're not actually latino you're spanish it's like no you don't get it man like there's nothing spanish about me my family's been there for 400 years <laughs> like yeah. uh and i i i because of that i'm i i'm confusing to people here when um when talking about some of these issues but what i totally sure. relate to with you and i think that a lot of um i've seen this sentiment voiced as well by a lot of black public intellectuals like john mcWhorter that um for example he's a linguist but people always go to him to talk about race and he's like i wish one day you guys came to me to talk about linguistics because that's what i am yeah. a professor of at yeah. columbia university yeah. yeah and i feel the same it's like sometimes people ask me my opinion on latin american politics or race issues and i'm like i sometimes wish my art didn't have to go hand in hand with this conversation because i'm much more interested in theater yeah Um, and same with you you're doing this project on sense isn't that tremendously interesting you know (laughs) isn't that what you're concerned with day to day you know
1: yeah and you know it happens to me even you know i at an academic level sometimes um when i'm advising you know i'll there might be an impression that oh you know study with with staff so you can you can kind of talk about gender and music and you know you might be better served by speaking with a male colleague. And I hope that male (laughs) colleagues will be equally invested as I am. Um, But yeah, absolutely. That's, it's true. Um, I'm not an expert, although I do take responsibility for, for being, you know, a a female professional. I do think that it is part of my job is, is I've had to learn that part of my job is to talk, talk about this. Um, But certainly no, I'm. I'm not an expert, and my expertise is in in making music. So I'm with you, Nico.
0: I mean, there must be many female professionals, but in the it's become in vogue uh, in the brass world that you can the 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 art becomes secondary to whatever identity you have. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not God, just women; it's everything. I mean,
1: it's everything. I mean, I just don't. You wish, like. I've had multiple interviews where people are just like, so how has being a woman affected your playing? And I just wish, I would love to hear an answer by like a white man trumpet player, answer that exact same question. Like, how do you think being a white man has affected your art? Like, I would just love to hear that answer because I've had to answer that question, which is incredibly difficult. Um, And I know you've had to answer that question yourself as a Latino, what, you know, and also that question, what does it even mean to begin with? <laughs> but like, um, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I, I I wish that that we could all question ourselves, you know.
0: Well, and then also we can recognize, uh, I recognize tremendous progress in some things. I mean, uh, when I talk to most of my female colleagues in music, they've had, I mean, granted, like you said, they they all have horror stories of some gig or some old school teacher or something, right? Yeah. But in general a lot of them have had very even opportunities as far that people in the 40s, 50s, 60s didn't have. I mean, just the fact that there are many colleagues of mine that went to Eastman, Northwestern, Juilliard, Curtis, you know. Yeah. That's already unheard of, you know, up until like the 1970s. So, Yeah. Uh I I I I I'm more interested in general in people's creative legacy in a way Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. than
0: i am in their accidents of birth
1: (laughs) yeah although let's not let's not like it we we shouldn't ignore though that like the way we were born has influenced the choices we've made oh
0: absolutely and not just the the choices we made but the type of culture we're surrounded by i mean and um uh, that's often why i also think like when people say well Latin people are just better at playing salsa. They have better rhythm. It's like, that's not because they were born with magic blood. That's just because that's what they were hearing in their living room. <laughs> Absolutely. <yeah. laughs> so you too can create that if you wish.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you think that like my ovaries have made me like more musical, like <laughs> go ahead and think <laughs> that if you like. like
0: yeah. Well, and it, it, with that in mind, I'm really curious about that project you're talking about with scents. Tell mm. me all about that.
1: Well, um, it all came about from, again, being at a live, con- someone else's concert, <laughs> um, and, um, kind of, okay. I'll, I'll just like give you the, the full, the full, uh, I'll just explain it all here for you. I was at a, someone else's concert and it was an amazing show. And I was like fully like, just like deeply immersed with with the music that was on stage. I felt so close to it. And then right near the end of the show, the air conditioning kicked in. Um, I was in this awesome club called LPR. It's in in the East Village in New York. Um, The AC kicked in and suddenly it was like zooming out on the whole, the whole, you know, the whole room. Like, I suddenly felt noticed the distance between myself and the artist. I was aware of all the people around me. I I was just taken out of the music, and you know this is a trick that bars do all the time. They turn on the AC, you know, when they're trying to clear the bar. They make it really cold. Um, And I just suddenly in that moment realized how critical it is that um, that we be aware of the environment that we're setting up when we're putting on a show because it can be so incredibly. Uh, manipulative in a beautiful way that it can it can encourage that magic and fantasy that we were talking about beforehand right with the imagineering. Um, and it it, it really got me thinking about sensations and how much information our bodies hear um, and feel when we're when we're at a concert and so yeah it kind of just led me to what if what if you were listening to a concert and you didn't know that there were gonna be sort of scent, scents coming in throughout the show, but what if you could um, design, you know, create some sort of scent architecture, of some sort of linear um, 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 performance of scent that could be going alongside of a performance and could you manipulate how close or far away an audience member could feel from the music simply by changing how it smelled or really more how it felt in the room. Um, so <laughs> that kind of got me um, working, you know, searching out send artists and I found this really wonderful um, artist named Sean Raspett and I basically put a proposal to him. I said I, I want to start writing some music. Um, I'm going to talk about the structure and the feelings and colors and intensity behind it but we're not going to name names of you know, nothing, nothing concrete. Can you develop sense that you think could enhance or distract from um, certain uh, moments in the music? And so sort of we, part of this was also improvisation was a big part of the piece too, because I wanted the musicians themselves to let the sense influence what was, what was going to be coming out of, of their fingers or their hands uh, when they were playing. Uh, so that's in a nutshell, you know, the, the true intention of this project. There was another kind of fun side, (laughs) you know, one, one aside from this project is I was curious, like, you know, when we're listening to music digitally, like I know we're missing all this information. Is there a way that I could help listeners feel close to the music, um, through iTunes, you know, you can sell smells on iTunes, but, um, you know, through this record, could I, could I, could I, create a listening environment for people in their own homes where they could actually feel close closer to the music. Um, so the sense in this project, I'll just let you know, like they're, they're, they're pretty wacky. Like they don't smell like anything that you can really put your finger on. But a lot of them, you know, <laughs> had prompts, like what, w- what would the smell of loss be? You know, what, what would that smell like? And um, these were kind of some of the questions that, that we had uh, going on with this project, so.
0: I think that's fascinating. I also think that it's an interesting thing because we, I think, in the creative arts, sometimes generate ideas for the private sector without realizing it that turn out to be incredibly powerful. And then we forget them. And then we're constantly thinking about new ideas. I I mean, thinking about like sense and environment, like that's something so created by arts in general. I mean, if you think about like, opera or museums or even church right and then we decided that's not useful for us because we already went through that but then casinos are building their casinos to encourage high rollers to feel more comfortable by the lower ceilings and they're releasing Mm -hmm. specific scents to make you feel more calm and it's Mm -hmm. like well it works for them (laughs) so what happened when we were building disney concert hall that made us think that that wasn't important (laughs) uh And I I think what you're thinking about is amazing. But there's another element there that I wonder if you would talk more about, which is, so I'm coming at this from the point of view, like my, and this is largely why I became um, uh, very interested in Stockhausen, is Uh that he represented for me a person super, super, super connected to this idea. Like, what is everything that I'm doing affecting the experience that people are having, right? Yeah. And so he would have, from the moment you entered the theater, cues were telling you what, you, what was going to happen. For after the piece was done, there was still music going on. Right. Um, almost for 40 minutes in, in some of his operas. Like, What are the elements of experiences you've had that have nurtured this idea that that's so powerful? I mean, for him, for example, it was uh, visiting Buddhist temples in Japan and then the old style Catholic mass in Latin. For him, that was hugely influential. I'm just curious to know where this uh, plight to try to find this is for, or where it comes from for you.
1: Man, I mean, there's so many places. I'll, I'll just say it again like, you know, Disneyland <laughs> is uh, <laughs> pretty remarkable. Um, um, Going honestly, going to see uh, pop music is another really, and I, I should say, Shock You know, like I'm sure he wasn't ignoring what was going on in concert arenas. You know, in popular music, like we're we're celebrating how pioneering he was because he was um, in his in 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 his uh, you know realm. Or whatnot but like in the popular music world there's crazy shit happening all the time that was pretty you know like fantastical and theatrical and I think that part of his credit is that he was not ignoring what was happening in the world you know out, it, out, outside of new music and classical music he was actually paying attention to that so that's that's a bit of a side note but for me yeah like um, I, I've gotten a lot of inspiration from, you know, back in the early days when I graduated from CalArts, I was playing back up to Kanye West and like, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly part of that. But like, you know, the things that I, uh, that have carried me in, you know, through my career, I learned so much about how to play music on a stage for a lot of people and make it really interesting and really moving. Like what kind of visual effects, what... What about the costume and the makeups in the makeup and and uh, uh, the choreography? You know, these are all elements that like are part of the part of the magic. And I'm not saying you need to sell out the core of of the the music and the intention and the beauty of it. Um, One of the most beautiful shows I ever saw was completely in the dark and so quiet that you could only hear the sounds of the musicians that were close to you. So you missed out on you know 80% of the the piece because you could only hear what was near you. But still that There was magic in, in, there's magic in the smallness and there's magic in in the gigantoid enormousness of possibility as well. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, and somebody like um, Kanye, for me, more so than his own music, I think that shows like his because he's been invited to, you know, he's found a way into places like Avery Fisher Hall in New York, you know, Yeah. or Geffen Hall, I guess is what it's called now. Uh, But. And what's interesting about that, I mean, Gould told me about this, then I found it so interesting that, you know, he's been for a long time advocating that maybe the solution for some of these events in classical music is that since our sense of hearing has changed a lot in 100 years, that actually we are not, because of the amount of noise we're accustomed to, our ears are accustomed to much higher decibels than orchestra Mm. fortissimo, right? interesting. And so what what he's advocated for a long time is well we should amplify it and people tell him well that's impossible you can't amplify it. You can't amplify the orchestra. And then you see somebody like Kanye in Avery Fisher Hall with an amplified string quartet and he's creating an experience much more meaningful for the people there and it's like okay well why can't we learn from these things? What is it that prevents us from doing this? What is it that prevents you from deciding to work with a sense specialist? I mean it seems amazing, at least in listening to what you're trying to do.
1: Or maybe just really obvious too, right? Like, like we have we think about lighting. I think that's like one of the basic things. Oh, that, that one's huge. Oh, my God. Twitter, right. And that's huge. And I, I I, would love if every music undergrad degree would include some sort of lighting design component, because that would be a really helpful thing for all of us. But, you know, I, I want to... I guess I want to clarify too. It's not just about the extraneous. Like obviously it's you, you've got to be saying something real that at at its core, the creativity, um, you know, the music has to be there, but we want to help, you know, discover that we, or we want to enable the sense of fantasy. And I'm saying, I'm not saying that you have to spend all your energy on how is it going to look or how's it going to smell, (laughs) you know, but but we don't have to ignore it either. I do think music can stand on its own. I, I it, it always has, um, but I do think it's 2020, and 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 we can keep pushing. We can keep moving this forward. I just wanted to give that little little qualifier there that like it's not just about how it looks. No,
0: absolutely. But it's also I I think and tell me how you feel about this. I think that there's since maybe generation x so maybe the baby boomers are the beginning of this but really gen x and then moving forward um we are the first generations and it's getting more and more that have the benefit of the i'm going to call it private private content and i don't mean that in that it only belongs to you but i sort of do the fact that i can listen to a Mahler symphony with my headphones from my iphone and walk around paris gives me a different experience with that piece than anyone in the 18th century would have had right so right. i i why events like what you're saying and and uh, the importance of curating an experience become so important is because i can curate my own private experiences at home i can i can um for example every time that it it was rainy in montreal when i was living there uh i would like play um it was either Ella Fitzgerald or I her name. Anyway, I, I'll, it'll come back to me, but uh, I, this music was tremendously enhanced by the fact that I was sitting in a rainy, dark apartment <laughs> with, with a drink. Yeah. Uh, and it's because we can curate these experiences all the time. We can go for a run and listen to a playlist, you know. Right. Then we as performers have to start thinking about that that is the new target that we have to create a semi-curated experience for this person, that at least they feel that they had a unique experience, even though obviously it isn't. I mean, you go to a restaurant in Chicago like Alinea, it feels like nobody has ever gone to Alinea. Bullshit, they do that every night. People say, I had such a unique experience. It's not unique, but they've curated it to a degree that it makes you feel that way.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like, that's the trick, right? Like, the the truth is you go to hear (laughs) whatever at LA Phil, play Beethoven, which they probably don't do that often anymore thankfully, but like, you know, it is like, it'll never sound like that exactly ever again. And it is pretty, pretty special, but, um, but for some reason that information isn't really conveyed in, in that setting. So like what you're saying, how can you, how can you be cognitive of like, of the space to make it feel sacred and, um, and unique, like it's never going to happen again in that same way.
0: That wasn't yeah.
1: really
0: an answer. I was just agreeing with you. <laughs> no, but it's, I, I just find people like you that have that in mind. And I, I, I think you think about this deeper than people that think they do this, because I know that, you know, and we all know, uh, concert series that think they're being super immersive and they put a video up or yeah. they don't have intermissions or something like that. And they say, man, pat on the back. I really changed the concert experience. But did you?
1: Right. And it's not necessarily about the change. It's about like, well, what, what, like, what are you, what are you trying to do for the audience? What are you trying to give them? What are you trying to create for them, for the music, right? How are you honoring the music in this scenario? No intermission? Like, does that, does that help the music? Maybe, maybe it does. It depends on the piece, right? But I just think that we, our generation, or maybe I'm, I'm too old to say that to you, Nico, but like, <laughs> at least starting with my generation and like definitely yours, like we don't get to take for granted, like what, how to survive in our careers. I can't take for granted that people are gonna buy my record anymore. Um, I can't take for granted that people are gonna show up at, at my concert, um, you know, these institutions, haven't supported me very well as a female trumpet player in the beginning and so as a result like I don't I, I can't I can't depend on those institutions for for what, the type of music I play for the most part um and I think that we we I guess haven't had that that luxury of of knowing that there's a job out for us you know when we graduate from school so we've had to find ways to new ways to connect with people because we can't take for granted that an audience is going to show up at our show so
0: oh my god and and like what what you just said uh is something too that is not taught well you know what it's because it's not convenient to talk about it but i actually you're one of the first people in our age group that i've heard it articulated this way um sometimes people on the fringe like you or dan Rosen, they they attribute there's success to the fact that they are on the fringe, but nobody I've met so far, at least maybe I haven't had this conversation. Maybe they feel it. It's what you just said needs to be spoken of openly too, which is there's a f- institutional failure to take care of everyone that is f- in their 40s, well, in their 50s now, all the way to Gen Z who are starting school. Um, mm-hmm. We are living on a borrowed mythology from the 1950s 50s through the 1970s, of a tremendous period of growth economically in the United States, in which you could have a paper route and pay through college. If somebody can point me to the magical paper route that gets you through college, okay. and that then you graduate from a half undergraduate degree that you didn't maybe didn't even complete, okay. uh, and you find yourself being the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and then you stay there for 50 years. Like this was just a period of tremendous growth that, we, that is not normal. And that now that generation, so I'm talking about the baby boomers and the silent generations, have gambled the future of Gen X uh, millennials and Gen Z so that they can continue to have this illusion in their heads. But somebody ought to tell people our age, like you're saying, these places are not going to be there for you. You're wrong if you think that that these places are going to be there for you. It's not that the market is competitive. It's that the market doesn't even exist,
1: yeah, exactly. And I mean we're seeing we're seeing we're seeing them fall and like i think covid is is uh pushing things in different directions uh probably faster than any one of us really ever wanted to see but um when we get through all this there's going to be a lot of building and rebuilding and i think that we can try to keep pushing pushing the needle towards progress towards inclusivity towards um relevance right um Anyway, it's not easy, but I do think that it's part of, part of our responsibility and, and, and it can be done because the truth is at the end of the day, um, we need people, people need music. People need that, that space of fantasy, like that we, you know, I know, you know, it when you go to a show and you're just, you just are carried away and, 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 and you feel alive and you feel, you know. You feel this 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 sense of possibility, and I I truly believe that like when all of this is done, when we get through all of this, like people are going to want that more than ever, and and we want to create those spaces and draw those people in to to see our really crazy wacko shows.
0: <laughs> well, and I think you're right. I mean, this was something that I've been uh, finally going out in public and talking about because I've gotten kind of tired of seeing it, but everyone's saying people are going to want this content when it comes out. And I agree with you in the case of what you do, but I, I think people are going to be uh, wanting content, right? They're going to be wanting art. They're going to be wanting all sorts of art. So visual art, music, theater, every sing- single one of these things, but they're also going to be broke, which yeah. means that they're going to be incredibly selective about where they spend their money. Yeah. And then the question has to become, well, you keep telling me art is more relevant than ever but why should i believe you or what is it about your art that really rings true to that thing and okay. this is where people like you are poised to be fine. this is where people like dan Rosenboom are poised to be found uh, fine or peter evans i mean any one of you guys or even some of the old school guys that are just tremendously powerful at what they do like hokum so um i guess asking the question why why is it that what I do should matter becomes more important than ever because you can't take for granted that people are going to be selective about where they go.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking about you like, and, and like, I'm I'm really trying to find a, find a, find a way to say this. Like we're not asking much when we put on our shows, right? Like to go here, like, whatever, the Met, you know, you got 50 bucks, you got 60 bucks and like, you know, these, these big institutions, like they, they need that support. We all need the support. But what we're doing in our, on the fringe, you know, in in the like dark, dark alleyway, <laughs> putting on our, our music, you know, I know what you're saying that there, when we get through this, people aren't going to have as much money to be going out and, uh, you know, quote unquote, supporting the arts, or patronizing what we do. But if we're doing something, um, I, I, what I'm trying to say is that, that we're not actually asking for much to, to begin with. And I think that there's a sense of togetherness and community that people are going to need, that people, they need it right now, but people, people will be seeking, you know, what's, what's that, that funky event where uh, I have to, you know, walk through a maze to get to the concert hall. Like, I want to go to that show, you know, like, Oh man, Nico's putting, putting on like a a, a concert with like, Ten cars driving around me, like I want to go to that show. Those are like the ideas and the formats, and um, I think the the this is why I feel like we're going to need to be rebuilding in the next few years. But I think people people are game. You know, we never should underestimate an audience. One of my favorite experiences of my life was I I played in this um, improvised band with a bunch of people who played in kind of more the indie. Indie rock world, and did I tell you the story before, Nico? No. So you know, one of the, the the drummers from this band Deerhoof, and for example, like this is it was just like a really interesting mish, mishmash of people. The, the bassist was from the Wild Bells, which is more of like a um, bluegrass group, a really wild group uh, mix of people, and we would play rock clubs, but we play free, like improvised free music, and but we play it in a venue where people would go expecting to you know um not feeling like they needed to like understand something in advance to be able to enjoy the music so we would play rock clubs and one of my favorite shows w- was we ended up playing the the cake shop which is a place in the uh lower east side it was totally packed and at, near the end of the show uh greg the drummer said let's play as quiet as quietly as physically possible <laughs> that was like our piece that was like that was the structure and so we played so quietly in this huge, loud, like packed bar. And by the end of the, sh- the, the piece, I was able to introduce the band in a whisper and the whole room, they were listening. Everybody was listening. And that was a really big lesson for me that you should never, ever underestimate your audience because people are game. People, If you're in the right setting, people want to be moved. You just have to allow a space where they can feel like, that they can they can be transported so anyway
0: well i i would sum it up in this way when this is over burning man is going to be fine but the metropolitan opera is going to be in trouble yeah and I, we should really analyze why yeah. and let's analyze the fact that burning man is incredibly inconvenient have, <laughs> there's no money you have to barter there's showers that are a hose like <laughs> uh So why why are people more willing to pay good money to go see this, and be in this experience? And I I think if truly phenomenal because you know I I I would say that some of the quality of the art of Burning Man is great and some of it not so great. So the question is, what happens if you learn your lesson from things like that, and you don't underestimate the fact that people want it? Like you say, the audience is not stupid, and you give them something better in content. What what would that look like? And why aren't we doing that? Yeah. And, and like you said, it's not that hard to do. You do it. I do it. A bunch of people do it. It's not hard to produce your own shows and find a friend who's a lighting designer or find a composer friend or find a person that helps you with a mixing board. If things are interesting, people come.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and create a space where everybody is welcome exactly as they are. You don't have to have a certain amount of money or look a certain way or have a certain amount of education to understand what's happening.
0: God, and if that's not the power of art, I don't know what is. I mean, that's another thing I always decry. is like the pre-concert talk where you're going to condescend on people with like tidbits of information about how Beethoven liked goulash (laughs) uh, instead of telling them, you don't get Beethoven. I don't get Beethoven. Anyone that tells you they get Beethoven is ridiculous because this is just an expression of a man. <laughs> By the uh,
1: way, for Beethoven, he's been our straw man our whole conversation. Yeah.
0: Well, and I love Beethoven. That maybe <laughs> might did. be why, because he it's like, so yeah. yeah, he's great. I mean, he's a genius. He's avant-garde in every way, but you know, he's also <laughs> the poster child for like, let's analyze Beethoven. And that's, this is where theorists get in trouble because they can't analyze him because he doesn't fit their forms as well as Mozart. And so, I, I think that that's, to me, Beethoven is the perfect example always because he's the one that people are always like, oh, what a great composer, and we all understand it. But if you really stop to listen, this dude has made us all listen to classical music with as one of the worst melodists of all time.
1: Mm-hmm. so But he could groove, so... Oh, he
0: could groove at the best rhythm. he his, He's the master of form and function. Like, his his use of, uh you know chords is like nothing else and rhythm <laughs> mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you know that that's my point it's like you know i you, we've become so used to condescending to audiences because we think what do we do so difficult it isn't we just express things to people it's about how efficient we are at it right yeah
1: yeah exactly yeah. create that create that fantasy
0: yeah hey yeah. steph this was amazing we i want to be mindful of your time and you know Thank you for doing this again. This was a great conversation.
1: Thank you, Nico. You're absolutely brilliant. And it's like, I I mean it. It's such an honor to be on this podcast. It's so amazing. Thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you so much, Steph.
1: Take care, Nico. Bye-bye. Bye.